It's all changing this week's pod. LJ is saving herself for a final presenting week before she flies off to the Financial Times, so I'm filling her shoes as presenter. And producer Kate is still living it up in Boston, so we've got Sarah Cudden with us again. I'm Kerry Eustace, and you're listening to Careers Talk. Now, I'm extremely excited about this week's guest, Andy Nyman, currently co-writer, director and actor in Ghost Stories, the Lyric Hammersmith theatre show everyone's tweeting about. He's created some of the most controversial and talked about television in recent history as Darren Brown's behind-the-scenes right-hand man. Programmes he's worked on include Russian Roulette and The Lottery Prediction. And he's also starred in Charlie Brooker's horror satire Dead Set and the cult hit film Severance. He'll be joining us later to tell us all about his career in the performing arts. You've got to just love it. It's like everything, but that's the rule with everything. Doesn't matter what job you're going to do, love it. And even if you hate it, start to love it. Pick the poster is Jenny Carolina Castrion, who, after being made redundant from a post in the financial sector, struggled to find work or break into another area. Now I'm looking at employers directly, I'm looking through their website, and I'm looking at the international websites and looking for jobs abroad as well. James Gooding will be dropping by from the Guardian Jobs team for the Jobs Top 10, and Julian Lindley's tip for this week stresses the importance of having a life outside the office so you improve your output when you're at work. But first, I'm joined in the studio by Guardian International Sales Executive, Laura Salt, who's going to tell us about this week's Q&A. Hiya, Laura. Hello. Hiya. So what Q&A did we have on the forum this week? We had how to succeed at interview this week on the Q&A. All right. Who was on the panel? Anyone interested? There were loads of people that were really interesting on the panel, but people that gave really, really good practical advice were people like Michael Buchan, who's manager of e-learning for My Work Search. So that's a really helpful site for people who are looking for jobs. Caroline Rice was also great. She was from the Real Coaching Company. So there's some real practical advice in there. All right. So what were the trends? What were people talking about? Well, there was some generic what to do about nerves at interview and, you know, what do you do if you get asked difficult questions and that kind of thing. Thing. But there's some also some really interesting things that, you know, you might not have heard of. There was one person who'd, whose friend had been to an interview recently and asked what her maternal instincts were. So obviously... That's quite shocking. Yeah, really, really shocking. And, you know, it's quite interesting because you you don't know how you would react to that if you were asked that question yourself. So the panel gave some really good practical tips on, you know, what to do to such a frightening question. What did they say for that particular problem then? Well, there were um, a couple of people who said that, you know, it was a very good idea to address it head on. To actually, Claire Whitnell said that these questions were a categoric no-no, obviously. But if you don't answer, you could risk looking evasive, which I think is everybody's worry. They don't want to sort of look like they're going to say, I'm going off next week to have children. (laughs) So she she said she thinks that, you know, uh, sorry, can you explain how that might be relevant to the position might work? Because it might just show the interviewer how inappropriate they were being. But other people, like Elizabeth Backus, said that you could reply quite humorously. You could even say, yeah, if they're fine, how are yours? Yeah, <laughs> that made me laugh. Like yeah. That's the one I remember in particular. <laughs> what about any highlighted posts? Is there anything you picked out? For me, I think the top bit of advice was to always remember that when you go into an interview, you're interviewing them as well. Because, you know, you've got to remember that these are the people that you're going to be working with for the next several years of your career. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Okay, what about top tips? Yeah, obviously preparation is key. So not just preparing your knowledge about them, their business, but also about yourself. So I think one of the key things to remember is to pick a few stories and examples of when you've shown key skills that they might be interested in. And then practice saying them over and over 
boring as it might be. Um, but, you know, if you if you do that, then you're going to make sure that at interview you're really comfortable with those scenarios and that that comes across. There are some other good ones, like if you take a notebook and a pen into the interview, you can kind of write down things that they're saying which might be of interest. And then when you get to the end of the interview and you have the dreaded any other questions, where inevitably all of your pre-prepared questions have already been answered, you can refer back to the paper. And you also look really engaged. You look like you're taking notes and it means something to you. Great. Thanks very much, Laura. And to Julian Lindley's tip of the week, something many of us are guilty of forgetting, the importance of investing in a rich life outside the office. Over to you, Julian. It's really important, I think, if you're going to have a long, very happy and fulfilling career to keep a very strong balance between work and life. I sound a bit like a broken record every week. I talk about how work is where we're paid to be and you should put your focus into work because you're paid to be there. It's transaction. But similarly, when you're not paid to be there, you should absolutely be leading the life that you want to lead because you know we all work to fund our lives not the other way around and uh, I have experienced myself but also seen in colleagues over the years that the rounder fuller and richer your personal life is the better you work at uh, when you're in the office and I think this works on many levels one is just a nicer happier person to be around quite frankly <laughs> I mean certainly in the creative industry that you kind of need personal experiences to inform the way that you interview people, the way that you talk to them. It's ideas spring out of your own experience and good positive life experiences, not ones where you are dragging yourself home at, late at night to kind of fall into bed just in time to get up and come to work the next day. That's not really living as tempting as it can be to go to the pub with your colleagues after work. My recommendation would be not to do that, would be to go to the pub with your other friends, to cut away from work. You'll be amazed at how it refreshes your way of thinking. I remember fairly early on in my career uh, bumping into a friend actually at about 11 o'clock at night at Finsbury Park bus station. I was on my way home from work. She was on her way home from a night out. And she looked at me and she just went, Jesus Christ, have you been taking drugs or something? Because I was just chewing like a maniac because I was so wired at 11 o'clock at night. And it, she kind of held a mirror up to my face, actually, because she had been for a great night out. She was also a very successful journalist. But I had just been working so hard, I think I pretty much lost perspective on, uh, on my own life. And I, I kind of realised in that moment that my entire life was about work at that point. And it was a, little, it was a real jolt for me. It was a proper wake-up call. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I make myself quite unpopular with other editors and other senior people by talking about this. I mean, I, I've spoken about it before because I feel really passionately that we will have lives outside of work. I mean, I've turned down jobs in New York throughout my career because I do not want to put myself into that American work ethic where you get two weeks holiday a year where you're expected to be in the office until from sunrise to midnight. It, it isn't life. What's the point of doing that? Yes, you get paid handsomely for it. Yes, you can progress your career fairly rapidly. But what's the point if you have no life? What's the point I always thought of living in Manhattan if all I'm ever going to see is the inside of a flaming office cubicle? And I see London copying that. And yes, of course, occasionally there are going to be times where it's impossible to leave the office any earlier. But that really should be your focus. I think some really clear signs that perhaps you have got your work and life balance out of sync is when you haven't seen your friends for a really long time or your friends will usually be the first people that notice that you haven't been around. Another thing is being really tired constantly. 
you know, there are lots of causes for tiredness, but quite often just being exhausted from the grind of work, just being in the office is tiring, is, is stressful. And when you can't remember when your last holiday was, I mean, you know, it's amazing how many people don't take the holiday. You're entitled to it. Why on earth would you not want to take that time off work? You've got a responsibility to look after yourself. So to conclude, my tip of the week this week is have a life. Joining me in the studio now is the BAFTA-nominated, Olivier Award-winning and Inner Magic Circle member, Andy Nyman. Let's hear him as Gordon in the paintballing scene from the comedy horror film Severance. Right, I think we bent a few rules here and there. I think that someone, and I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers, has been wiping off paint. And it does clearly state in the rules that... Yeah, this that is total war, there, there are no rules. Right, well, it... it do- Ow! really dangerous! If you get one of those in your eye, it could pop like a ping-pong ball! It's not funny! That hurts! That was actor Andy Nyman. He is currently appearing in Ghost Stories at the Lyric Hammersmith in London, and he's here with me now. Hello, Andy. Hello. Thank you for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. You kind of like scaring, freaking people out, weirding people out. Why do you sort of gravitate towards that sort of material and roles? I don't know. I mean, it hasn't been through choice. I mean, apart from ghost stories, it hasn't been through choice. It's just a very happy accident, really. I have always adored horror. And it just so happens that occasionally things will come up that I think, ooh, like Severance, which was great fun. And that just happened to be horror. And then my agent said, oh, there's this thing that Channel 4 are doing called Dead Set. what is it well it's written by charlie brooker i was like okay send it over send it over and um so you were a fan of his oh my god yeah he's just so so brilliant it wasn't like i thought i'm looking for a really interesting horror project you know i've done i've done so much that isn't horror but you know i think there's a, a great marriage between my fascination of horror the horror stuff that i've done the Darren world, there is a real crossover, which is lovely, actually. Well, let's talk about ghost stories to start off with. I came to see it and I really enjoyed it, although I was scared witless the entire time. <laughs> I had my scarf sort of just above my nose so I could mm. pull it up because it's very tense stuff. Tell yes. us a bit about the show and how you got involved in it. I'd got a little bit bored with doing theatre and, and was fortunate enough to kind of have a strength of will that just meant I'd stick to what I wanted to do, which was film. They're not all films that everyone's seen. A lot of them have done the festival circuit and then, you know, I'm sort of, I'm massive in Poland <laughs> for this <laughs> film that really? I did. Yeah, there's a film called Shut Up and Shoot Me that won loads of awards at festivals around the world and is like huge there. It's, so it's these weird little pockets. But then there's a few movies that have, you know, played around. And, and again, I just sort of said no, no, no to theatre. And then this play called Moonlight and Magnolias came up, which was just the most brilliant script and it was directed by Sean Holmes, who now runs the Lyric Hammersmith. I just thought, oh, this is great. I have a good feeling about this. So that was the first play I'd done in 10 years, and I loved it, and I was very lucky. It got wonderful reviews. And and, and afterwards, Sean very nicely said, look, I really want to work with you again. What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, I'll do. So I said, well, I've had this idea about a ghost story play. The original pitch I said to him was, look, it's it's the vagina monologues with ghost stories. <laughs> you know, the template as a sort of theatrical structure... You know, Vagina Monologues is amazing. It's three women, three stalls. It's like the most extraordinary success story. And nothing was happening apart from the fact I'd called my oldest friend, 
Jeremy Dyson. You yeah. should say he's one of the creators of the League of Gentlemen. Yeah, he, Jeremy is, you know, the fourth League of Gentlemen men and is the most brilliant writer. So we just had to do it. And that is how Ghost Stories was born. How did you get into acting? You know, where did you train and what was your first sort of big break? I trained at Guildhall. I was there 84 to 87. So that's a long time ago now. I wanted to act ever since I was sort of 12. And then I saw Jaws at the cinema. And that was a really big thing for me because not only was it a really visceral experience, that level of shock. But if anyone doesn't know what I look like, I'm a short, stocky, curly haired, Jewish looking guy. And to sit in a cinema and look at Richard Dreyfus, a short, curly-haired, stocky, Jewish-looking guy, and think, oh, my God, my this is a reality. You could do this. You don't have to look like... Well, then it would have been Robert Redford or Paul Newman or, you know, but now, you know, you don't have to look like Brad Pitt for this to happen. You can just do what you want. You can just do it. Has acting sort of lived up to your expectations? Have you enjoyed it as much as you thought you might I when you were watching it. Jaws. I adore it. I, you know, I, I love every single day. And I love the game of it. I love the fact that you don't work all the time. I love the fact that you can go for ages and not work, but then get something that's brilliantly exciting, you know. And one of the fortunate positions I'm in is because I've structured my life and my career in such a way that I have sort of four income streams, as it were, I can be choosy, you know, and that means that the end product I'm in might not always be brilliant. I've no idea. But at least I can just do things that I'm passionate about. And I think, for me, that's absolutely the key. I would never have been able to make the acting choices that I'd have made and have never been able to afford to be choosy without having had 10 years of income from another revenue stream. So it's freed you up to, to do absolutely the things that you've wanted Absolutely liberating. To do. Would you recommend that to other performers? You know, yeah, to totally. Diversify I, 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 it staggers have. me that people can be, you know, precious about mm, I don't want to do you know I want to do this and that's it. I don't really want to think about doing anything else because what people seem to fail to understand is that actually you can have all your precious dreams about what you want to do but if you cannot live you're just going to have to let them go so I think that you need to understand that to achieve those things you know you have to have a realistic spin on life that's really good advice for budding actors I think yeah let's talk about mentalism and your magic what is it and how did you get interested in it and how did you train in it okay so mentalism is a branch of magic it's you know the easiest way to describe it is that's what Darren does and it's a branch of magic of conjuring that is sort of magic of the mind and I got into it for two reasons the first was I was doing a lot of magic and a lot of kind of magic on the corporate circuit and private parties and stuff and I was sort of earning okay money doing that and that was great but I really loved the idea of mentalism because it was so much more performance related you know there were no cards and no coins and no rope it was just about you and the person and you know the effect so that was very appealing the other thing that was very appealing was the fact that there was almost no one doing it so that meant that as opposed to earning a hundred pounds an hour for doing close-up magic I could charge 500 pounds an hour for doing mentalism because there's no one else doing it so I thought well that made a lot of sense because at that time I was you know just before that I was driving lorries and working in box offices and selling magic in Hamleys and the appeal of those things you look at it and think well that's that's got to make sense so I then just bought every book that I could on it 
you actually turned down the job Darren Brown's now doing, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. How has that sort of shaped what you've done from then on? Well, it's shaped everything, but it's not like I'm desperate for fame. So when the opportunity, I was doing magic as my version of painting and decorating, you know, as my, how do you make a living when you're not acting? And I realised, you know, that magic was a, a hobby that I was doing and that I could earn money doing that. So I was out doing a lot of magic and working at corporate events and close up and doing that stuff and then started doing the mind reading stuff, which almost no one was doing at that time. There were about three of us. And I just got this phone call out of the blue from a production company going, we want to offer you a one hour special on Channel 4. And it was like a five year deal they offered me and a lot of money. And I just said, nah, you're all right. I'm not interested. I don't think they could believe it. I thought they thought I was playing hardball. <laughs> so they sort of came back with yeah. more money. and um, Briefcase. Yeah, and just said, look, this is, we're really serious about this. And I said, no, it's fine. Wouldn't make me happy. Don't want to do it. And um, But whoever you find for it, I'll write with them, direct them. You know, I'm not precious with my ideas, whatever you want. And then about six months later, they phoned me and said, have you ever seen this guy, Darren Brown? And I'd seen him at a magic convention and he was amazing amazing much better than you know I would ever have been he's you know he's just he's so brilliant and then that was it you know they sort of said great we would like you to write material with him and and sort of direct him and that's a decade now talk us through you know the process for putting one of those shows together how, how well the tv's work? different to the stage the stage shows are Darren and I sit in a room write the material write the show I direct it we get four weeks to write the material four weeks for me to direct it you know, you know that you start that process and eight weeks from then you've got three and a half thousand people in Blackpool or wherever you're opening waiting to see the new, amazing, brand new, better than the last one show, which is insane. It's an insane amount of pressure to think when you're sitting there on the first day of those eight weeks with blank pieces of paper in front of you thinking, what are we going to do? Ah. Yeah. So that's the stage show. The TV shows are slightly different. Obviously, they're a bit longer as a process. It's myself, Darren, another fellow called Ian Sharkey, who's brilliant. And we kind of throw ideas out together. And Darren sort of leads the way on those. You know, Darren will often already have some ideas. And then there's other things that we've talked about doing for years that haven't come out yet or things that we've been planning or plotting or thinking how do we do that and then the three of us and then there's you know maybe a couple of other people who help sometimes on that and then that kind of gets written you meet, you've worked with some great people and on some amazing projects what would your career highlights be would you say it sounds so glib to say it but it's true they all are you know I just I'm so endlessly grateful to work and every single time I'm on a set, every day that I'm there and I look and think, oh my God, that's a clapperboard and there's a camera. And I just, I'm so excited by everything. So of course there are some amazing, amazing moments, but there's also great ways of being brought back down to earth with a big bang. I once read that you keep a database of everybody that you meet. And I thought that was a really good tip. Well, that was the best piece of advice. I don't actually do it anymore. I regret that I don't do it anymore. But it was a fantastic piece of advice that an actor on my first acting job gave me, which was, you know, keep a database of everyone you audition for, everyone you ever meet. And I did that for about the first 15 years of my career. And it was incredibly useful because you do forget everyone you audition for and everyone you meet. And you can also make notes. If someone treats you badly, just think, right, I never want to work with you. I don't care how good the job is, you know. You keep <laughs> you keep that written down. And equally, if you meet someone and they're absolutely lovely, then, you know, 15 years later, if you bump into them again, it's nice to say, when you auditioned me for Sansa, you were so nice, so respectful. That stuff really counts, you know. But you should think of it as a business. You are a product. 
in a saturated marketplace where unless you start realizing there really aren't lucky people there aren't it doesn't work like that everyone you look at that you think oh, i can't believe they've got another job they've grafted what about what's next what are you going to be up to soon it looks like ghost stories is going to have quite a life so that's very exciting i'm doing a series for channel four called campus it's the people who made green wing so it's their new series so i'm doing that then we'll wait and see. There's a lot of talk of other projects, but, you know. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. It's uh, been a pleasure. It is such a pleasure. I love ghost stories. I'd lo- I'd recommend it to anybody who can handle it, <laughs> handle the scares. Yeah. But I hope you'll come back and speak to us when you've got another project in the pipeline. I would love to just ask. Thank you. My pleasure. And now for the Jobs Top 10. This week's chart is brought to you by Laura and James Gooding from Guardian Jobs. Opening the chart at 10, a London-based organisation is looking for a gallery assistant with a detailed knowledge of the international art market and experience working with high-income clientele. At 9, an established talent agency is looking for an assistant to its MD, looking after a roster of performers, writers and presenters. Responsibilities include organising diaries and travel itineraries, arranging meetings, filtering phone calls and offering full secretarial support. Number 8 is a web manager position to cover maternity for a leading health charity in central London. Excellent writing, editing, sub-editing and and proofreading skills are essential as you'll edit and maintain the content on these sites. Number seven offers a chance to deliver high-profile corporate events for an equally high-profile organisation as an events manager for the Qualifications and Curriculum Development Agency. This post is based at the agency's new office in Coventry City Centre and has attractive staff benefits. A highly specialist role at six, the Victorian Society, a national charity campaigning for the Victorian and Edwardian historic environment, needs a church's conservation advisor. You'll need a degree or equivalent, knowledge of and enthusiasm for 19th century church architecture and excellent written and oral communication skills. Middle of the chart at five, an outdoor advertising agency is looking for an ambitious graduate who will be trained up in the day-to-day running of a portfolio of clients and undertaking new projects. Number four, community organisation Cornwall Neighbourhoods for Change needs a learning contracts manager to develop the organisation's learning programme and make a real difference to individuals in areas of deprived social housing. Number three is a position at Derby City Council. The Derby Safeguarding Children Board is seeking to recruit an independent chair who is experienced in chairing complex meetings at a senior level. Runner-up to the top spot at two is a safe practice manager role at the Children's Society. This is a brand new role working alongside the head of safeguarding to ensure that the whole organisation safeguards children effectively. Top of the jobs this week is a project lead at public services organisation Participle. Participle is redesigning the welfare state and needs a collaborator, builder and innovator to lead a team throughout all design stages bringing in a variety of disciplines and experts to develop new approaches to new areas in public services. And now for Pick the Poster. This week's poster is Jenny Carolina Castellon, who I chose because she'd been made redundant from the financial sector and was struggling to break back in. Let's hear it. My name is Carolina Castellon Munoz, and I came to the forum because it was an opportunity for me to acquire different approaches to the market, to the labor market, because I'm unemployed. So the forum for me was sort of an opportunity to get out there and consult with different specialists in different areas. I was working in the financial services industry, and the post I did was 
regarding how could I get myself out there and reach more people. So you'd be interested in career changing into anything in particular? Well, I'm keeping my options open. I would like to go towards risk management, but the preparation for that is quite expensive. So right now, because I've been unemployed for a while, I cannot afford to go and pay from my own pocket for the training. Tell me a little bit first about the sort of advice that you were given through the forum. Well, the advice I was given was that uh, I needed to keep my oceans open. I needed to update and revaluate my CV because now the CV's layout have changed a lot. On top of that, if you applied, it's not like they used to be before that they acknowledge and say thank you. What you, what you get now is an automatic generated email, which is fine, but uh, sometimes you don't even know if they receive your CV or, or anything. Uh, rewrote my CV. It was a little bit more punchy rather than, a, you know, long and explanatory. And, uh, but I haven't had any results either. So now I'm looking at employers directly. I'm actually through their website. And I'm looking at the international websites and looking for jobs abroad as well. All right. So what sort of ideal thing would you like to do? Definitely those sectors or are you thinking something completely different? Well, ideally, I think it's time to take my skills and trying to look into different sectors, as I say. And if I got an opportunity in the financial sector again, I would really like it because I'm quite confident in the sector but having said that I'm not afraid of moving to something different. All right shall we move on to your quick fire round now? Okay. Yeah are you ready for it? I am indeed. Good okay. What was the first job that you ever had? You were working for um, one of the four biggest brokers in the world, an insurance broker. That's quite impressive for your first job. I know, (laughs) I know. I was seen at the time as a high flyer but now the economic recession. You'll get back there, don't worry. I hope so. What's the best job you've ever had? Well, it was working in a presidential campaign for a former Colombian president, Mr. Andres Pastrana. He gave me a very wide, a broad range of different tasks and programs to manage. What about the worst job that you've ever had? Well, when I was a student at university, I did a cleaning job. And it's difficult because you need to get up very early and you got a time frame to fulfill the tasks that you're asked for because you are against the clock as well. Yeah. If you could have any job in the world, what would it be? I think working as an economist because I'm an economist by training for the International Monetary Fund. Okay. And uh, working uh, for developing countries, I would say. What is more important to you, salary or job satisfaction? I would say job satisfaction. If you won the lottery tomorrow, would you still go to work? But no, but I will send my my husband or partner to work. (laughs) 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 Because, you know, somebody needs to keep, you know, doing something sensible anyway. (laughs) So one of you at least is sane. Exactly. Okay. What about if you ran away to join a circus? What What job would you do for them? I think I will be the lion tamer. I think that would be quite fun, actually, lion taming. Yeah, I think so. No, I'm quite good at organising things and putting things in order, you know, bringing order to chaos. So that that will go well with me. What's been the proudest moment of your career? Well, I think it was helping uh, the presidential candidate I mentioned before to win the elections. 
I contribute um, quite a lot with the voters on all my job in there. And it's very sort of fulfilling to see a candidate to become a president, a leader of a country. How would you pitch yourself to a potential employer in 30 seconds? Well, I would say I'm an economist by training with a master's in international relations and diplomacy and also an MBA in banking and finance. I lived and worked in different cultures and different countries, UK, Japan and South Africa. I speak four languages fluently. One of them is Spanish, Japanese and Italian. I lived and worked in different environments. I had a broad range of experience from managing people to managing projects and operations. And um, I'm very willing to learn and uh, keep trying and achieving things for different institutions. Fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. My pleasure. On to what's happening next week. We've just got one Q&A in the pipeline. We're talking about the food and drink industry on March the 10th from 1 till 4. Now we've nearly come to the end of this week's pod. All that's left is to thank our guest Andy Nyman, Julian Lindley, James Gooding from Guardian Jobs and the lovely Laura Salt. Remember you can find out more on everything we've talked about on careers.guardian.co.uk. Careers Talk was produced by Sarah Cudden. I'm Kerry Eustace. Thanks for listening.